Welcome, Bud. Welcome, Martine. So tonight's call is being recorded and we're also live streaming on Facebook. Uh, welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and building a culture of empathy, compassion, and connection. All right, let me let this My name is Kathy Kidd, National Program Coordinator for the Peace Alliance and your host for today. Uh, let me pause for a minute. Is somebody letting, uh, can somebody let people in? Deanne, can you make somebody else a co-host to let people in? Uh, my name is Kathy Kidd, National Program Coordinator for the Peace Alliance and your host for today. The Peace Alliance's mission is to educate, advocate, and mobilize people into action to transform systems and public policy toward a culture of peace. And you can learn more about the Peace Alliance by going to peacealliance.org. Uh, today, we come together for our national monthly Peace Builder podcast, where we invite speakers at the forefront of peace building to share the work they are doing in the world. These visionaries cultivate These visionaries cultivate and create the conditions for peace personally, nationally, and internationally. Our guest today is Suraj Budatoki, founding member and lead organizer of Peace Initiative Bhutan. And the focus of Peace Initiative Bhutan is to advance positive peace and reconciliation between Bhutan and the Bhutanese refugees of Nepali origin who were forced to flee Bhutan in the early 1990s. The Peace Alliance cultivates peace building to, to create a world where everyone and everything thrives. We do this by focusing on six areas of peace building, community peace building, humanizing justice systems, fostering international peace, practicing peace in schools, cultivating personal peace, and advocating for a cabinet level department of peace building through legislation currently introduced in every session of Congress since 2001. The goal of a Department of Peace Building is to replicate and expand successful programs devoted to ending violence, resolving conflict, and creating and nurturing conditions for peace. And the idea for a Department of Peace has been alive in our country since the 1700s and has been introduced into Congress multiple times over the last 200 years. So it's not a new idea. And Kendra Mon is going to give us a brief update on the Department of Peace Building legislation, H.R. 1111. And then I'll introduce our speaker at length, Siraj. Uh, Kendra has been a supporter of the Department of Peace since 2005 and currently serves on the National Peace Building Committee. Uh, she shares leadership with me and Lori Russo on the Grassroots Infrastructure Committee, Grassroots Network. Committee and as Secretary of the Global Alliance for Ministries and Infrastructures for Peace. So, Kendra, over to you to update us. Thank you, Kathy, and welcome everybody. The, the legislation that Kathy 
told you about, the Department of Peacebuilding Act. We have a new Congress, so it was introduced again on February 21st with 27 original co-sponsors. And we now have 28 since it was just introduced a month ago. We're working in our season for nonviolence to add more co-sponsors and scheduling Zoom meetings with congressional offices. And we have the DOP, the, what we call the D DOP as the Department of Peacebuilding campaign call on Wednesday, the third Wednesday of each month. And so you can find how to connect with that on the calendar uh, of the Peace Alliance. And we also are scheduling um, in-person advocacy days in the Congress on May 7th through the 10th. And you can find out more about that and other actions that you can take to support the DOP on, on the homepage. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this call. Thank you, Kendra. All right, Siraj Budatoki. Siraj, you wanna wave? I'm sure people know who you are from uh, looking at uh, the, the uh, art you have behind you. Uh, Siraj is CEO and owner of Bloom and Shine Services, a human service agency in New Hampshire. He is a PhD student at Saybrook University studying transformative social change. He also has degrees in political science and international relations. Siraj is the founding member and lead organizer of Peace Initiative Bhutan. The focus of Peace Initiative Bhutan is to advance peace and reconciliation between Bhutan and the Bhutanese refugees of Nepali origin who were forced to flee Bhutan in the early 1990s. Siraj states in an article that he wrote, Bhutan's much touted happiness rating lies atop a bed of pain the pain of Bhutanese refugees of Nepali origin. I know because I am one of them. And let me just tell you a little bit of, uh, more about Siraj. Uh, he's, these are some interesting things. His, his resume is, is 10 times longer than what I'm gonna tell you. So I just picked out a couple of things. Uh, he's been a research fellow with Congressman Ro Khanna's campaign. He was a deputy political director for the Bernie Sanders for President campaign. He was formerly on the advisory committee of the American Friends Service Committee, currently on the conduct board for the city of Manchester, and he was nominated by the mayor and alderman of the city of Manchester. He has multiple honors and awards, including 40 Under 40 of New Hampshire's Brightest Young Achievers. He gives presentation on human rights abuses by the Bhutanese government at different universities, and has briefed these issues to the State Department, seeking their support for prompt resolution of the ongoing human rights issues. And he's calling uh, for a, an establishment of a U.S. Embassy in Bhutan. So, welcome, Siraj. Thank you. Thank you for that very, very kind and generous introduction. And thank you for this time. You're welcome. There's a, a lot to say about you, a lot uh, that you have to say. 
Uh, you came here 14 years ago, and when we spoke a couple of months ago, I was very surprised that Bhutan was in need of healing and rec reconciliation because of the claim that it is the happiest country on earth. What is the um, the inconsistency here? How can they cl claim to be the happiest uh, country on earth? And we all believe that, and yet there's this whole history we're going to find out. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Sure. Um... What during you know 1990s you know expulsion or forceful expulsion of ethnic Nepalese uh, by the government of Bhutan um, at that time there was no internet or there was no television there was you know no nothing at that time and we were in refugee camp um, you know struggling for survival every day and night you know and Bhutan did grab that opportunity to you know to travel around the world and talking about gross national happiness and writing all kinds of uh, research articles and bringing in, you know, inviting foreign writers. And they, they develop a sort of narrative to the world that, okay, Bhutan is no more, Bhutan is not uh, doing any kind of human rights violations, but it is just expelling, you know, illegal immigrants or illegal people in Bhutan. So they, they were, you know, able to create narrative to the Western world that Bhutan is, you know, happy country and what, you know, the refugee issue is not the big of a problem. So we failed just because we were in the refugee camp and had no opportunity to travel, you know, to the Western world and talk about human rights and our plights uh, during those times. So that's what happened. Gotcha. So let me give a little context for what happened based on what you told me. In the 17th century, Nepalese citizens were brought in to build infrastructure in Bhutan and were given citizenship. And then in 1985, the king of um, uh, Bhutan revoked that citizenship because of the religious differences. The 85% um, of Bhutan is Buddhist and the Nepalese uh, were, uh, their religion was Hinduism and there was some th feeling threatened around that. Can you say a little bit more about why they felt threatened? So, uh, before, you know, prior to 17th century, uh, ethnic Nepalese used to live in Bhutan. So, history goes back to uh, the king of Tibet, Songsen Gambo, who married the queen of, you know, Nepal, Brigur Devi. And, you know, Songsen Gampo and his wife, Brigur Devi, built a temple, two temples in Bhutan. So to build those temples, uh, you know, people from Nepal were there or taken into Bhutan to build those temples. So not just early, you know, 17th century, Nepalese uh, used to live in Bhutan prior to that date as well. So, you know, the ethnic Nepalese were not illegally entered Bhutan. It was taken uh, into Bhutan by the, you know, different rulers uh, of Bhutan. And they were given citizenship rights by the Citizenship Law or Citizenship Act of 1958. So, and after 1958 or 1957 and 58, uh, the border uh, between India and Bhutan was closed just to stop illegal immigrant. And those who were already inside Bhutan were, uh, you know, got put in citizenship by the Act of 1958 Citizenship Law, and then. Well, the, the ethnic Nepalese were growing in the southern part of Bhutan, and probably the government of Bhutan, the king, felt threat from the growing ethnic Nepalese population. And what they did was they changed the citizenship law of 1958 
that gave citizenship rights to ethnic Nepalese in 1977 and also in 1985. So particularly in 1985 citizenship law stripped off the citizenship uh, rights given to us by the you know, government of Bhutan. So on top of that, the uh, one nation, one people policy was enacted and implemented. What that means is that um, the people living inside Bhutan must adhere to Drukpa culture, uh, Drukpa language, uh, dress code, and diversity was like, you know, banned. So I think Nepalese, we used to have our own language, dress code, uh, culture and tradition, and our language was banned, you know, uh, from school. Our, you know, tradition, our culture, our uh, dress codes were, everything was banned and made illegal. The, the, the situation came to that point where if government Bhutan sees us wearing, you know, our dress, Nepali dress, we were given fined of some amount of, you know, money. So that was made illegal. So we faced, you know, imprisonment just because we are wearing our national, our, you know, uh, ethnic dress. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the other issue was when 1985 citizenship law took away our citizenship rights, the people um, from Southern part of Bhutan, agitated, you know, they, they felt that their rights has been taken away and people started to voice their, you know, grievances against the government of Bhutan or asking them to rescind that, these kind of, uh, what you call, discriminatory policies against ethnic Nepalese. Mm -hmm. And there was mass protest in early, in September, August of 1990s and government of Bhutan, you know, deployed martial law and we were you know, forcefully evicted. I was, I was nine years old uh, at that time um, not knowing anything about politics. I just, uh, my dad used to work in one of the government you know, uh, officers, offices and uh, dad came home overnight. Uh, and then he told us that we need to leave this country. Um, I, you know, just got a few minutes time to grab my, you know, belongings. I grabbed my school cups and, you know, mugs and plates. Uh, I don't know why I grabbed those. Maybe mm -hmm. I use that often time in school to eat lunch and dinner uh, and, and breakfast. And then um, I was unaware where I was going, but I was happy that I was going out of house overnight. Um, and I was also happy after walking two or three hours, I was, I was excited to hop on the truck, not knowing where the truck will take us, uh, take me. But I was happy as a, as a kid, uh, you know, getting chance to get on a truck and, you know, ride. Um, you know, the overnight, the next day and the following night, we reached to Nepal border. Um, obviously, we didn't have any, you know, money because uh, we had to leave Bhutan, or the country that we know uh, overnight, and we're not able to collect our monies and belongings, you know, that we had in Bhutan. And then, you know, with you know hunger we thirst we arrived in nepal and somehow someone showed us towards hindu temple and we were there uh, we were given food we were given water and we rested there you know the day and the night there and next day we walked a uh, whole day and arrived in burney one of the small towns small villages in you know eastern part of nepal that's how uh, you know uh, we left everything that we had on for generations. Uh, my great grandfather uh, actually lived in Bhutan. Uh, 
great-grandfather. I would assume uh, he was there in 1890s or around that time. I and mean, my grandfather was born in Bhutan in 1930s. My grandmother was also born in 1930s. Uh, my both of my parents were born in Bhutan, uh, and both of my parents is still still have Bhutanese citizenship cards in their pocket. They just keep it for their what do you call it, memories, or they do mm. still have it, even if it's old. It's mm -hmm. it's precious for them. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's how. Yeah. Yeah. What made your family decide you needed to leave? Well, there's a story. Uh, uh, my father used to work at coal mine office, Samrang coal mine office. Uh, he he used to work as a clerk, so he knew he has to measure how many truck of you know coal uh, goes to uh, which you know which part of India. So he has to uh, take record of those things. So he knew people of India, and somehow over the night he was you know sleeping. Uh, his office was destroyed. Um, he doesn't know, he didn't know who came and destroyed his office. Um, and, and his office used to have blasting, you know, uh, things like, you know, that can uh, break rocks and mountains to get coals out of it. And that was all taken away and his office was like destroyed completely to the ground. And uh, next, he, he, he ran away that night, he saved his life. And next day, the army knew that, you know, the office was destroyed and they came and, you know, harassed my father. Um, and they, uh, you know, torture and he ran uh, from, you know, uh, that situation and he came home overnight. And then that's how we left country. We, my father knew that we will be back because uh, I heard him saying that we will be back to our country in three days. Um, and actually we left our, you know, our mother, my mother in Bhutan with, with thinking that we'll be back, back to our home in three days. Uh, well, uh, how many years? We left Bhutan in 1990 and this is 2023, we're still uh, away and we still miss our family members back in Bhutan and we still miss our yeah, country mm -hmm. that I was born. So why did why did your family leave and other family members felt safe enough to stay? But that's uh, it's maybe because and my father was involved in that uh, in the office uh, destruction. But I mean he wasn't involved, but he was there at the time when the office was destroyed, and government of Bhutan felt that he was involved, um, and he was you know tortured. He was given two options: stay. Uh, in Bhutan and uh, face persecution or, you know, leave the country. That was what, what he told us um, when we, you know, were in refugee camp in Nepal. Gotcha. And did your mother join y'all later? Yes. Uh, after three, four months, uh, when we were able to settle in Nepal and my father went uh, back to, you know, Samrang. And then there's another whole story. Uh, when we left, after three days, uh, army came and destroyed our house in, you know, our house. And a mother uh, had to live in others, uh, you know, neighbor's houses. Um, whole day, she, she told me that she used to go to forest, live there, hide there. And overnight she used to come to uh, sleep in, in neighbor's house. And then um, she was, you know, when my dad arrived in, you know, Samrang, uh, she was hiding in one of the neighbor's, uh, you know, uh, room. And then, you know, my dad took her out and, you know, 
uh, came back to refugee camp in Nepal. So he went back to her? Yes, dad went back to uh, Bhutan and got her. Gotcha, so he had to sneak in to get her. Yes, actually our our village, our house was very close to Indian, in India. So if we walk 10, 15 minutes, we you know walk to India. So it's very close to India. So that's how we snuck in. Gotcha. So what was your experience? You know, at nine years old, you started growing up in a refugee camp. What was that like for you? And how did y'all get educated? Well, actually, uh, when uh, refugee camp uh, was, you know, initiated, uh, there was no, uh, you know, foreign assistance. There was no, uh, you know, UNHCR or Lutheran Social Service or nothing was there at the initial stage of, you know, building Lutheran refugee camp in Timai. So um, I used to, you know, go to, uh, our camp was at the bank of river Timai. And I used to go to, you know, uh, you know that river bank and cross rocks and collect, you know, uh, stones and sell it to the uh, construction contractors and make some money to support myself, the, my family, and also to, you know, for my education within the refugee camp. So one day uh, a Nepalese guy, you know, small, uh, you know, man came and told me, at that time, I was unaware whether I was a refugee or not. I, I, I was really, you know, minding my own business, you know, because uh, my dad told us that we will be back to Bhutan, our own country, in three days. Um, and then I was, you know, doing that, you know, crossing rocks and making some money to support my family. A guy from Nepal came and told me that I do not belong to that country and I have no right to collect rocks, cross rocks, and make some money out of those, out of, uh, you know, those business and I asked him why and he told me that I was a refugee and I don't belong to that country and that realization of being a refugee uh, hurt me I went to uh, and talked to my dad uh, about it what is refugee means and he told me that someone who does not have anything uh, like country or money or house nothing so those people are called refugee and I had a you know kind of discussion with my dad so what, what happened to my country? What happened to my, our house, our land, our property, our you know, cows, our auction, our sheep, our everything you know, we had in Bhutan, what happened to those? And, and he was like, you know, he had no answer. And he said, we will back to our home one day. And uh, that's how I started you know, my refugee life. And I think 90, in 1993, 94, uh, slowly, uh, you know, foreign you know, agencies like UNHCR, uh, Nepal Red Cross Society, and Federation, I think Lutheran Social Services started coming and helping us. Yeah. Um, it was it was very you know difficult to start a new life, starting life over, and over again is very difficult because uh, we were subtle. We had everything in Bhutan. We had abundance, like you know, our we grew up by ourselves. Everything like. You know, we had our everything in Bhutan, and we didn't have to pay rent or anything. We 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 lived there as, um, you know, as a, having everything, and then changing overnight to nothing uh, is very difficult. But you know, God was there uh, to help us from the sky, and we we kept our hope that one day we'll be back to our country, and that we lived in the present. Uh, taking care of ourselves. Um, that's how we, you know, uh, passed our refugee life. 
Yeah. How did your mom and dad keep their hope up? Do you know? I mean, do, as a child, did you notice what was going on with them? Well, I do remember um, my mother uh, believes in hard work. Um, and one day, you know, when uh, we were not getting any kind of rations or food from, you know, uh, foreign agencies like UNESCO, my mom and dad used to go to forest and used to get uh, wild plants or wild food, uh, you know, for their kids to survive. And, um, and now I remember they used to get fiddlehead and I got that fiddlehead here in New Hampshire and Vermont. And we survived with those fiddlehead and, you know, um, wild plants uh, at that time. Um, and my father was a little bit of educated because he went to Bhutan uh, in, in school, uh, I think uh, up to fifth grade. And after completing fifth grade, he got job. He was given job by the government of Bhutan and he started working uh, at the you know, Coleman office. And he was little outward uh, mentality and he started you know, uh, organizing uh, Bhutanese refugees in Timai uh, and make a big, big camp and he started working there as, uh, I don't know the name, but he started working with Lutheran social service uh, at the time, so that's he's that's how he started making some money and started helping us. So it's like, you know, hopelessness is, uh, you know, it's like not living a life, and even hope is re realistic. Hope is what we, uh, you know, want to have. So living in the present time, whatever we have with contentment, I think that's how uh, we lived. And one thing that I learned was when we are all together with same pain, with same suffering, uh, we're all equal in status. That's how we you know, uh, feel that we're you know, all together, we're good all together, we're all supporting each other, yeah. Yeah. Did you know other people, like did neighbors go with you or friends or other family? Where? When you were in the uh, Timon, did you know, did you know other people there? Yeah. Uh, Initially, we had 10 Bhutanese refugee families together. And we worked together. We went to forest together, get firewoods. And when my parents went together to get some wild plants and we uh, shared, it was like, and our house, our house was built out of banana leaves. Uh, and the uh, wall was with, uh, you know, uh, leaves, tree leaves, and the uh, roof was out of bananas. So that's how we, uh, help each other uh, you know that's how we lived but later on um, when people started coming and use number so we were like 100 3000 4000 and then we, uh, at the end I think into the nine, uh, 1995 to 96 we had around eight, eight to ten thousand people in my uh, Timai Bhutanese refugee camp but there were eight other the uh, seven other Bhutanese refugee camps in other uh, part of Nepal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when y'all started getting help, how did the uh, people of Nepal feel about refugees coming and getting all of these resources? Well, uh, Nepal, a developing country with uh, you know history of turmoil, political turmoil and instability, uh, it, we faced a daunting task of providing uh, refuse or what we call uh, sanctuary, like here we call it sanctuary cities. Uh, to hundreds of thousands of Bhutanese you know, people. However, I think despite of all of these challenges, uh, the Nepalese government soared 
um, you know, their uh, grace um, and welcomed us, uh, me, my family, and more than 100,000 Bhutanese uh, citizens. Um, and, and I always remain grateful you know, for, the, for the opportunity to live in Nepal uh, for almost two decades from 1990 to 2009. Mm -hmm. And even you know, in the United States, uh, a country often considered a beacon of hope um, of freedom and democracy, we see both welcoming and unwelcoming, unwelcoming groups of people here. Yeah. Uh, some hold nationalistic ideology and, 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 and views refugees as what you call invasion or mm -hmm. uh, threats uh, to this country. Right. And we, I did see some kind of you know, people in Nepal as well. Uh, well, there are always, always friction because we are different human beings with different ideology and different you know, opinion. And yes, I did, you know, uh, witness those. I did involve in those kind of uh, friction between local uh, villagers and you know with uh, Bhutanese refugee community. But it was all not about resources. All about um, how do we get along? You know, someone wants to be a leader. Someone wants to be you know don't want to follow those leaders. So that's how the war is. Yeah, that's interesting. So there was uh, threatened. Uh, Bhutan felt threatened by this ethnic group. There was Correct. growing. Nepal had a, a faction of their population that felt threatened by uh, people who were different from them. And then you come to the United States and you have some people who are nationalists who feel threatened by people that are different from them. That's It's interesting that it happens everywhere. Correct. Right. So how did you get to the United States? Well, it was, <clears throat> sorry, it was a long process. It was a long process. Um, I, I forgot the name of US undersecretary who visited uh, Nepal, India, and Bhutan. And she announced the resettlement of 60,000 Bhutanese refugees. I think it was early 2002 or 2003. And then after she visited Bhutan and she felt that Bhutan would not uh, you know, welcome or repart with these, you know, 100,000 Bhutanese uh, refugees or Bhutanese citizens. And she announced that United States would welcome uh, 60,000 Bhutanese refugees uh, in this country. And then we also had different kind of, you know, groups in the community. Some said, no, we cannot go and forget, you know, our fight uh, to establish human rights and democracy, our repatriation to our, you know, country. Uh, protection of our culture, religion, and everything in Bhutan. Other fractions said, okay, I think this is opportunity for us to rebuild our uh, life, uh, in a rebuild our community in United States and other uh, countries. So uh, the declaration of form, I think, uh, to restore in other countries started in 2006 or seven. And then I started, I filled that form by myself uh, because, uh, you know, I thought that it is a good opportunity to uh, rebuild my life in other countries because there was no hope that Bhutan would want, would, would you know, repatriate us or welcome us uh, back to you know, Bhutan. So in 2007, I filled that declaration form saying that I am opting this, you know, uh, option to go to United States, uh, to, to resettlement, not United States. So I got for interview, Call for interview in 2000, 
uh, eight, a uh, couple of interviews, uh, like why I left Bhutan, was there a threat for my life? Was there risks for me, if my family was there, army came and kicked us or torture? All of those uh, were asked. And I shared the story that I just shared you before that you know my father was tortured and you know he was in all of the story and about my mother. And as I was very young, unknown about the you know the, the Bhutanese politics, I just followed my parents' direction to you know leave the country. And then they um, asked my work history, education, work skills, everything, and they made a work of my life data, biodata, and then. Um, in 2009, uh, 2008, late 2008, I was uh, interviewed by U.S. Homeland Security uh, to verify all of those, you know, uh, data I shared with them in prior interviews. And then uh, they told me that I'm being accepted by United States for resettlement in, the, in, in its country. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was unknown where I will be sent, but I said, okay, anywhere, but not refugee camp or not in refugee camp. Uh, I just want to, you know, uh, shake off the refugee, the tag refugee from my life. And I just, you know, gave up. And then uh, I landed up uh, in Atlanta, Hartford International Airport. And uh, my caseworker at the time was, I forgot his name, but he was very wonderful gentleman. Uh, received me and then he took us to my apartment and next day uh, he took us to our resettlement agency office and then the right way we started in a job orientation uh, in an interview uh, skills and all of those things and I was also told that I will be getting <clears throat> welcome money um, and public assistance until I get job. So I was very excited, very excited to start my job. And in two months, in two months of arriving in Atlanta, Georgia, I, I got job. And with that, uh, with that, you know, money, uh, or with that job skills, uh, training and interview skills, by the time I you know, got fired for my first job, I was able to get next job immediately, next job immediately after a week or so. So yeah, uh, it was, uh, cultural shock in a sense that I was from a small, you know, village, uh, country, uh, town, uh, a small village, uh, not had no idea about the life, uh, the uh, conditions, the life I would be, you know, living, or the neighbor that I would be having in Atlanta, Georgia. Not knowing all of those things, I just jumped with my, you know, hope that I will do better. Uh, in my uh, in the United States, so okay. yeah, that's pretty scary. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah made you've it. had some scary things in your life, yeah. having to leave Bhutan by on foot and then coming here and not knowing, you know, anything about this country and the culture shock. So uh, why don't we just? There's so much to ask you. Let's move forward to what's the first step you took to begin the healing and reconciliation process. Uh, in Bhutan, and uh, where are you now with all of that? Well, I think, sorry, um, reconciliation is a very big thing. It's very used and it's very deep inside, uh, you know, human hearts. And I'm not, when I say reconciliation, I'm not talking about superficial reconciliation or not talking about the over, you know, right here. It's just so 
deep meaning that reconciliation has. Um, and reconciliation comes with healing. And healing uh, comes with understanding our past. And here in Bhutanese context, uh, there are two narratives. You know, Bhutan said, no, I did nothing. Bhutan is happy country. Uh, these people left by themselves. We, our army, our government didn't involve to evict these people. But what we witnessed is that, you know, when there was a protest against uh, the government of Bhutan asking to, you know, reestablish our uh, citizenship rights and our culture, many people were arrested and they were imprisoned and they were tortured and they were killed. And still hundreds and hundreds of people are missing since 1990s. We do not know what about, about these people. There were many people who were tortured and killed, killed inside the British prison. We do not know why they were killed, why they were arrested. We do not know. And, and one sixth of the country's population, Bhutan's population was exiled. And we don't know why, you know, Governor Bhutan did this. Um, without understanding these things are the past action, there is no reconciliation, there is no uh, healing. So when I, when, I, when I talk about reconciliation it is the end process, it is way at the back of my head. What needs to happen now is creating understanding between government Bhutan and us as exiled Bhutanese um, to build, we need to build trust between these two contracting parties. We have to have common ground we have to write common history. We have to write, we have to have, as I said, common ground where Bhutan is going and what we are asking to go. So there should be understanding about common ground as well. Um, and also all the differences that we have between government Bhutan and us in exile must be resolved amicably then only and also the harm caused to these exiled Bhutanese must be acknowledged and, uh, and then only we, we will be able to, you know, uh, head on to reconciliation. And all of this can be done through instituting independent, uh, you know, truth and reconciliation commission. And Peace in the City Bhutan is, is building uh, a foundation uh, for this, you know, reconciliation where we are not, we are not, we do not hate the player, but we hate the injustice. So we are bringing out the injustice that befell on us, but we are not uh, deriding the government of Bhutan or the king or the prime minister, uh, but we really deride or talk about the injustice that had happened to us. Like for myself, my, my mother has her family members back in Bhutan. Even though we are American citizen, even though I have Bhutanese passport, Bhutan would not allow us, me, to go to Bhutan and meet my family members. For example, I have one individual here in Manchester. She is 69 years old. When she left Bhutan in 1990, she left her parents back in Bhutan, and she was she left Bhutan by herself, and she lost her father in 2011 when she was here due to cancer. She wanted to go back to Bhutan to meet her father. She could not, and now. Three months ago, she lost her mother in Bhutan. She wanted to go and she could not go. Mm -hmm. So when there are 
And there are you know, more than 50 political prisoners inside Bhutan and facing life sentences. So, and there are 7,000 Bhutanese refugees in Nepal waiting you know, their last day to visit their birth country and you know, reconcile there. Yeah. So when we have all of these differences, all of these injustices to, you know, uh, to ethnic Nepalese or exiled Bhutanese, that, and then the talking of gross national happiness does not match up. It's, it's really what we want as peace in Bhutan is build positive and sustainable peace in Bhutan. How? By addressing all of these differences that we have now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. So we have some questions in the chat. Uh, did you speak English when you arrived in Atlanta? Um, fortunately, in, in Bhutanese refugee camp in Nepal, our medium of instruction was in English. So I was able to speak a little bit, little bit of English, but yes, the accent is always beautiful. <laughs> I, do, I do get some, you know, even my daughter, she catch up my, you know, she catches up my accent and she made, you know, makes fun of me, but it's okay. It's always okay. Always good. Learning experience, right? <laughs> We're learning all the time. Right. Well, you did study English in college, you said. Yes. Uh, actually, I was out of Bhutanese refugee camp for my higher education, uh, for my bachelor's degree, and my major was English. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in Kathmandu for my uh, master's degree, but I couldn't finish. And I, I also had my major as English. So yeah, I, I spoke a little bit, but here I think I improved a little bit. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Um, let's see, uh, somebody wants to uh, know if, um, talk about your, the hangings behind you. Can you tell you, can you yes. explain the hangings behind you to us? Yes, uh, I don't know it's deep meaning, but uh, as I said, my family members still live in Bhutan. They sent me this as a remembrance, as a memory of my native country. It's a Buddhist uh, scripture. No, it's a Buddhist, uh, uh, you know, banner. We call it Thangka uh, in Jonka, Thangka. Uh, it just, uh, it's a Buddhist, you know, uh, what do you call it? Flag, Thangka, even though I'm Hindu, Hindu and Buddhist, they always go along. Mm -hmm. uh, the God and goddesses are just different names, but they're same. Um, yeah, this just to, as a memory of my country, as you know, my birth country. Yeah, nothing more than that. Gotcha. Is there a deity behind the flag that's hanging there? Yeah, it's uh, Buddha, the Lord Buddha. Okay, gotcha. Uh, let's see what else. Somebody wants to know if you're asking for uh, reparations as part of truth and reconciliation. Uh, I think... The, I will lead that uh, the truth and reconciliation, if ever established, uh, to take its course. Um, as we know, uh, uh, truth and reconciliation has its own, you know, uh, course. Um, there are many, and, and the idea of the concept of peace and reconciliation just started in our community. Uh, PIB has, you know, uh, taken this initiative. Uh, we had one event in Ohio, and we're doing uh, next event in uh, Harrisburg. Uh, we just introduced this in our community, and it is—it's not just a small thing. Peace building and reconciliation is very uh, what is what is needed at this time, not just in Bhutan but around the world. Uh, but I, I would say it all depends on where our community uh, would like to go. Reparation, forgiveness, um, sula—in other words, uh, you know, 
writing common history, finding common ground, all of those things will take uh, as we uh, will be able to establish truth and reconciliation commission. Mm. If if we are able to bring Bhutan to this, you know, uh, concept, yeah. it will it will help Bhutan in long run because mm-hmm. our idea is not to win but but to make a win-win solution. Our idea is not right. to defeat government Bhutan, but our idea right. is to win win together, and mm-hmm. and and to build positive peace and reconciliation right. uh, in uh, in Bhutan. That's what we want. Nothing more than that. Yeah. So you're working with ethnic Bhutanese college students all over the United States to help right. this process come along, right? Yes. Do you want to say a little bit more about how that got started? Sure. Sure. Um, it's, I think 2018, uh, you know, we started floating an idea of doing something because there was nothing going on, uh, to address these, you know, injustice or the issue of, uh, uh, Bhutanese refugees, uh, whether from Nepal or from United States or from other countries, there was nothing going on. We were like living our lives, so to say. And, you know, I, I used to work at Bhutanese Community of New Hampshire. Uh, it's a non-profit organization. I was one of the founding members. And then I found so many people coming to my to our office asking, you know, uh, asking helps to apply visa to go to Bhutan to meet their, you know, children, you know, father and mother. And I had no answer. And And, and, and so many families, you know, have lost their family members back in Bhutan and they're always asking support how we can bridge this gap, how we can uh, bring these two communities together and help. And then I started sharing this idea of peace building and reconciliation, which I got from my, you know, uh, tr- uh, you know transformative social change education at Seabrook. And I'm still studying this, you know, uh, peace building and reconciliation in my college. Uh, and I started talking to my friends in Ohio, where we have more than 40,000 Buddhist refugees there, Bhutanese Americans there. Mm-hmm. And then, and my friend Sudarshan, he started sharing with his friends in college. And then, and then we started doing the same thing in uh, Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania. And then we were like 25, 30 people with the same idea of the same concept of building, you know, peace in Bhutan through reconciliation. And then I started uh, you know, uh, bring in people from outside Buddhist community as advisor, as supporter, and then supporter as organization, agencies. And now we have 13, uh, close to 13 Bhutanese American nonprofit organizations supporting Peace Initiative Bhutan. We have five or six international non-Bhutanese organizations supporting us, our, our concept of building peace and reconciliation in Bhutan. And this is getting bigger, and we're also getting huge support from our, you know, Buddhist American communities. We are, you know, in, in lastly, we registered this organization. We were able to take 17 peace builders from Buddhist American community to DC. We were able to have roundtable with White House, Congress, uh, Senate, uh, and, and State Department. And we, 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 we really pushed uh, for, you know, resolution on Bhutan to the Congress, U.S. Congress, and hopefully very soon, both the chambers of the U.S. Congress will be introducing a resolution on Buddhist issues. Impressive, Siraj. 
So there's a happy ending to this story. You're in New Hampshire. You're married. You have your own business. You have two children, a six-year-old and an 11-year-old. They're staying up late tonight because it's a snow morning tomorrow. Uh, And so somebody wants to know, how did you end up in New Hampshire? Oh, I have to give credit to my wife. (laughs) Now, wife. Well, as I told you, I came uh, to the United States by myself uh, because my parents were not, uh, you know, they didn't want to come actually uh, because of they were, you know, Hindu adamant to Hindu culture, religion. And they felt that they would not have Hindu temple here in the United States. It's sort of, you know, Christian country and they had that belief. And then I came by myself uh, and Atlanta at that time, in 2009, I was working two full-time jobs with $7.25 per hour, $7.25 per hour. And it wasn't enough for me and, you know, helping my brothers and sisters in refugee camp and my parents in refugee camp. I was looking, you know, around uh, what I can get, you know, better job, uh, better earning job, and also get opportunity to go to college. I was always a big fan, you know, big about education. And I found uh, my friend, uh, my wife's now, my wife's brothers were my schoolmates in refugee camp in Nepal. So uh, my, my uh, father-in-law were, and my father was, were friends in Bhutan. They worked together and they were friends in Bhutan. And I was talking to my you know, friends, uh, my wife's brothers here in New Hampshire, and they told me, you know, New Hampshire is a better place, small place like Nepal, like Bhutan, and a mm-hmm. lot of job opportunities and, you know, good paid job. And then somehow I happened, started talking to, you know, Ganga, my current wife, and somehow I fell in love with her. And then I directly talked to her, hey, what do you think? <laughs> and then she told me I need to talk to her father. And I mm-hmm. talked to her father. And the culture is that we cannot decide, uh, you know. So, and my father, I talked to my father and my, both fathers and they started to talk to each other and they agreed that we can marry. Mm-hmm. And then in December, <laughs> December 2009, uh, I moved up here in New Hampshire and then New Hampshire is like now my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a home now, yeah. Wonderful, yeah. So we just have a few minutes. Let me ask you one last question uh, that's in the chat again. Is there anything being introduced into Congress uh, in this session to support Bhutan's reconciliation request? Good question. Um, It's not introduced yet. It's not in the Congress yet. Nobody will find anything in the Congress at this time. Very soon it will be introduced. And yes, the resolution uh, ask uh, instit- instituting independent truth and reconciliation commission in Bhutan to address this ongoing injustice to Bhutanese refugees or Bhutanese American families. Sure. Who are you hoping will introduce it? I would love to keep this in secret at this time. Okay, great. <laughs> great. Well, when you get it, let us know. Oh, we'll, yes, sure. We'll sure. You. Yeah, I will share, uh, you know, with you all. Uh, yeah. And also, I would request you to, you know, call, email senators and representatives for, you know, to support this resolution. Yes. Yes, me... let us know and we will send an email out to our network. Absolutely. Thank you. What you're requesting. 
Okay. All right. Oh, my heart is full, Siraj. This is such a moving story. Well, this is, I think, part of healing. When I share, uh, I feel relieved. Um, and also, thank you all of you uh, for listening. Uh, my story, my community's story. Uh, we have a long way to go for justice, healing, and reconciliation. Uh, with your support, uh, we will be there. You have our support. Thank you. All right, let's close. Any last words anybody else wants to say real quick? We have a couple of minutes if anybody wants to express their appreciation or any good words for Siraj. I see Elva clapping. Yeah, thank you, Elva. Thumbs up for Nancy. Yes, thank you, Siraj, so much for telling us your story. And and yes, if, if the legislation does get crafted, please let us know because there are ways that we can hopefully support and, and, and help you amplify um, that action. So let us know for sure. Sure, sure. thank you. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and end the call. Let me, um, for our Peace On podcast, if you'd like to listen to more of these programs, you can go to Peace On at our website. Just go to the um, uh, homepage and uh, you can see it at the top of the page. You can go to our calendar uh, of events and see what we have going on uh, every week. We also have an email that goes out on Mondays to let you know about the upcoming events for the week. At week. Um, and if you love and benefit from our programs, consider donating. Uh, again, you can go to, there's a link in the chat, but you can also go to peacealliance.org. And in the top right-hand corner, you can click on the donate button. It's right next to the calendar button. And if you miss any of our podcasts, you can listen to them on our Peace on Podcast page. Like us on Facebook. If you have not already done so, just search for the Peace Alliance on Facebook. And that concludes our call for this evening. Thank you all for being here. And thank you, Siraj. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org. All right.